This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Well, welcome everyone to the Richard Blackbee Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam and I am your host. And today on the podcast, we have another fantastic conversation. And this is with a former guest of the podcast. This will be his second appearance on the podcast. Uh, He first uh, came on the podcast all the way back at episode 83. So if you have been listening since then, thank you. And uh, this is another um, just great conversation with Scott McClellan. Scott has been a CEO for the last 25 years, leading multi-billion dollar businesses and tens of thousands of employees. His companies have been voted one of the best places to work in healthcare multiple times. He has started two companies from scratch, one of which is a $30 billion international company today. Harvard Business School profiled one of his startups in a case study. He's written nine books, is the executive producer of an upcoming streaming series in development, and has even worked as a celebrity bodyguard. He now knows all of this business success has been vanity and chasing after the wind. In fact, his greatest story is tied to being a follower of Jesus, a husband of 38 years, and a father of two daughters and grandfather to three boys. Uh, Again, every time we have Scott on the podcast, it's always a great conversation and always very insightful. Uh, Scott's just a very thoughtful leader, and it's a privilege to have him on our podcast. Uh, On today's podcast, he'll discuss his new book that has just come out called The Ancient Ladder, A Journey to Fullness of Life with God, and that's going to be available wherever you purchase books. Um, As always, we'll leave links to that in the show notes, as well as links to some of his other books. And before I turn it over to Richard, I will leave you with this quote from today's podcast, and that is, you have to value the prize before you will fight for the prize. And with that, I'll turn it over to Richard. Well, those of you who've listened to our podcast on a regular basis know that I've had a good friend, Scott McClellan, on here a couple of times. Scott is a wealth of information and insight on leadership and also a a multiple book author. And so, Scott, so good to have you back with us today. Well, thanks for having me again. And today, we want to particularly emphasize a brand new book that Scott just has coming out that is a wonderful book. I had the opportunity to read it in advance and to write a foreword for it. And, and, and Scott, maybe just begin by just give us a little bit of an overview of some of the, the previous books you've done, because you're a very busy guy. You lead a billion plus dollar company, you travel all the time, and yet it's amazing to me that you're able to write as much as you do. So tell us about some of your other books yeah. preceding this one. Well, thank you. Um, I guess I'd break them down into four categories. Um, uh, my very first book um, was uh, about my daughter's illness and yeah. how parents with seriously ill children can get through that. So it was a bit of a how-to book. Mm. Uh, my next two books were about faith in the workplace, and I've had a chance to uh, talk about those all over the world. Uh, my next three books are uh, about just faith, period. Mm. And then I've written one novel, um, and that's called An Acre of Fools, yeah. and that was actually purchased by a media company that's thinking about turning it into a streaming series. So wow. that's been and quite I've, fun to I've go I've read through. that, and that's a very gripping 
book. It's it's yeah. well written. It, it kept me on the edge of my seat all Thank the way you. through. Yeah, it was fun to write. And I still think about it to this day, 10 years later. Wow. Yeah. You, uh, and well, let me just ask you too, just, uh, I mean, you're a busy executive. Uh, and I, I meet a lot of people who say, you know, I'd, I've always thought about writing a book about this, or I've got this story that, you know, I think needs to get put in print sometime. A lot of people never get there. They never do that. How have you managed to to write? And what, what motivates you to write uh, in the first place? Yeah, I think the motivation is uh, typically um, God is speaking something into my life. And I'm sure that's true for a lot of writers, that they just feel something personally. And so they end up writing probably more for themselves at first. Hmm. Um, and then ultimately, that becomes something that they can share with the rest of the world. Um, and certainly that's true for this book as well. Um, in terms of having the time to write, it helps that I um, am insom an insomniac. <laughs> I can't even say it. Um, I sleep on average between two to four hours a night. So wow. while the rest of wow. the world is sleeping, I'm reading and writing and taking notes. And uh, Has, Have you always done that? Has... That's Yeah. So uh, as a child, I, I would had practice and I had to get up at 3.30 in the morning to uh, go make practice. And um, that's become like a good night for me. If I make it wow. to 3.30, uh, wow. that's a, a good night for me. So it just gives me a chance to sit in silence and think mm. and read and write. You know, I mean, I don't have, I don't have that kind of schedule, but I, I did years ago decide if I, if you do wake up early, it might be four in the morning or something and you, my alarm's not set till six, but, uh, you can toss and turn and get frustrated or you can get out of bed and start being useful. And that's right. I just thought, I, okay, I've got two more hours to work on something, spend more time with God, read a great book I haven't had time for. But yeah, but just lying in bed saying, I'm not getting out till I'm doing all, I get taking all the time that I still <laughs> have. It usually not that productive, but, uh, well, tell us a bit about this book because this is an interesting one. You've You've written, I mean, all your books are, are well-written and insightful, but uh, I think in some ways you feel particularly excited about this one. This seems to be kind of a culmination of a lot of your reading and thinking. And so just kind of give us an overview of what this book is about. Yeah, so I'll kind of take you back to the beginning. And actually, you and I talked about this before it was even a manuscript. Uh, I was at a silent retreat. Yeah. And uh, a lot of things had led up to that retreat that had me thinking about what it meant to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, I also happened to be in Hosea and Revelation at the same time. And this mm. whole Bride of Christ faithful theme um, was coming through. And I didn't know what to do with that because I didn't want to be anyone's bride. <laughs> um, but I'm at a, a silent retreat, and I just feel like God is speaking strongly into me about this topic. So I come out of that retreat and found myself searching, you know, what does it mean to mm. love the Lord with everything that's inside of you? What does it mean to be the bride of Christ? And uh, found that most of the people who have written about that uh, lived hundreds and thousands of years ago. Mm. Um, and I started going back and, you know, reading people like Origen of Alexandria, second century, Gregory the Great in the sixth century, uh, Bernard of Clairvaux, um, and any number of other um, writers like Teresa of Avila, Julian of Norwich, Madame Guion, and they just had these incredible devotional lives. And I just became mm. fascinated with it. And one book led to another, and uh, all of this was really kind of ancient thinking. Hmm. Um, and I found in there um, some similarities about what that life looked like, 
And a lot of them used uh, the latter analogy, um, mm. climbing from a lesser faith to a greater faith. Probably uh, the most famous of that would be uh, John of the Cross talks about a 10-step ladder. St. John Climacus talks about a 30-step ladder. Um, but Gregory and Origen talked about this three-step ladder. Hmm. Um, I can contemplate three better than I can <laughs> 10 and 30. That would have been a really long book if yeah. it had 10 steps. <laughs> That's right. So um, I started thinking about this ancient ladder that had three steps. And what I found particularly fascinating is that they equated it back to the books of Solomon, the three steps of Solomon, hmm. um, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. And um, they, they built this full faith experience based on these three steps. And uh, just, I, I became fascinated with it and really just was writing again for myself in terms of this invitation I felt I had received, uh, shared it with a friend and that friend thought it um, should be shared elsewhere. And that's mm -hmm. when I started turning it into a book. Well, and you know, I, I know that uh, some of those earlier writers, well, I, I think today a lot of Christians have no idea what to do with like Song of Solomon. You know, right. it's like you have to be 18 or older to like read that, whatever. And you don't know what to do with that. Uh, Ecclesiastes can kind of seem, I mean, there's some good stuff in there, but some of that seems kind of cynical. And uh, what do I do with that? Proverbs is usually kind of a, you know, more favorite, but uh, doesn't necessarily seem as spiritual. A lot of it's more kind of homespun, practical uh, advice. But uh, a lot of those older writers, they looked at that as three different, uh, like a, a growth from Proverbs to Song of Solomon. And we don't even know what to do with some of those books. And That's yet right. they, some of them, I mean, they went back to those books over and over again. They found a lot of rich uh, depth there. I mean, so how would they, how would they kind of divide those three books up? What do they each represent to these kind of ancient writers? Yeah, so uh, Proverbs um, to them was uh, really the entry level in, into the faith, so to speak. It's where you learn to fear God, to appreciate discipline, to understand the tenets of your faith. Um, so this was the first step of the ladder as they viewed it. It's where we came into a community of believers. And, and they saw, in all of these books, they saw wisdom by themselves. You can just read Proverbs and get a lot out of Proverbs and mm -hmm. so on for the three books. But they also saw greater meaning in all of these books. And uh, they also believed that three patriarchs are broken up into these three stages. So Abraham was the founder of the faith. He represented the tenets of the faith, uh, which ultimately led to the law. And it's where we learn to obey. Um, it's where we learn to know what the Word of God is and how it speaks to us. Um, again, it's where we come into community. And it's where we're saved. So mm. it's a, a wonderful place to be in Proverbs. Yeah. yeah. But then, so then you get on to what, so then what's Ecclesiastes? So Ecclesiastes is where we try to apply all those tenets of our faith to real life. Um, and that's and, when you get cynical. Yeah, that's when you get cynical. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's where we try and fail and try and fail. Um, and no matter how hard we try to get better, uh, we do get better, but never better enough. Um, and it's ultimately where we come to realize that we can't be men and women of faith on our own, hmm. um, that um, it, we just don't have that within us, and that in the end, we're, we're going to fail at being the people we want to be. Hmm. Um, and it's where we experience that failure. It's where we come to know what being poor in spirit means. It's hmm. where we come to understand our own spiritual 
poverty through experience, which is key. Uh, we can't just know it intellectually. We actually have to experience it. Hmm. And in knowing our poverty, we then know where to turn. Hmm. And so that could get that that that, that middle s- step on the ladder seems pretty tough. Uh, you you go from the idealism of well, I'm just I'm born again child of God. This is wonderful, and then you try living out the Christian life, and it, you start experiencing failures, and uh, it's not as easy always as you maybe thought it might be. Not at all. But, and in fact, uh, a lot of people exit in that. Um, it's it's the time when we're called to pick up our cross, and a lot of people don't want to pick up the cross, or they try, and they realize just how difficult it is, and they put it down. And uh, some exit the faith altogether at that point. Hmm. Um, most people just go back to step one, um, hmm. w- which is what they knew, right? They, they know how to be um, members of the faith. Hmm. Um, just a little bit harder, again, to live that faith and, and all the difficulty that it brings. Hmm. And so, I mean, if you get past Ecclesiastes into Song of Solomon, then what 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 does that represent? Yeah, the Song of Solomon is fascinating. It's an eight-chapter book, um, but I have probably 10 books, you know, just a stack of books, and I'm only scratching the surface. Um, hmm. There are so many people who have written expositions on the Song of Solomon to talk about what all the characters mean, what all the uh, kind of moving in and out means. It's the only book that's written more like a play. Hmm. You know, the characters come and go. Each Mm -hmm. character has its part. Um, But really what the Song of Solomon is meant to to mean is it's the apex of the faith where we we, we come into um, a personal relationship with the Lord. Um, and so in step one, we, we understood the community relationship. In step three, we come into personal relationship in addition to the community relationship. It's not one at the expense of the other. Hmm. It's one and the others. But we start to hear directly from the Lord. Um, it may be, for example, where we go from being Christian to being an outright follower of Jesus. Hmm. Um, sometimes people can um, relate more to Christianity than they can Christ. Yeah, uh, It's here where we come to know him as the bridegroom, and we come to know just how wonderful he is, just how much he has saved us and the price he paid to save us. And so we, we come into this personal relationship where we hear differently, we see differently, um, and we are just overcome by his love mm. and wisdom and grace and truth. So if like uh, to get into the second stage, you, you need to take up your cross, yes. uh, deny yourself. What, what does it take to get into the third level? So um, uh, I would, I would just go back to you taking up the cross, it's denying self. And we mm-hmm. understand denying self intellectually. Um, yeah. It's another thing altogether to actually do it. And if you look at the lives of the saints and just how much they denied self, mm. it's a mirror that says, I haven't even begun to deny self. Mm. Um, and so um, it's, it's really coming to experience that and to actually want it, to, to bring it in, not just get through it, but to want it and bring it in. And I think the best example uh, of kind of being at the end of step two, moving to step three, would be Peter in the courtyard after the three denials. Mm. Um, You know, when when Peter was on the boat with the fish in, you know, the beginning of the ministry, he Mm -hmm. says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. And that's a wonderful step one insight. And he... Mm you know, leaves everything to follow Jesus and, you know, bravo, right? Not everyone uh, does that. Yeah. Um, but Peter's real growth came after he denied his Lord on the most important day in human history. 
Mm. Um, and you know, Peter gives the three denials, and Jesus looks across the courtyard and gives yeah. him eye contact. And can you imagine Peter being soothed with mere words at that point? Yeah. Um, he is at the total end of himself. Um, and he realizes then that he can't be a man of faith without Jesus. He can only come into that faith with his Lord. Mm. with that personal, deep, abiding trust and guidance. Um, and so it takes that kind of experienced moment, and I can't emphasize enough experienced moment. We can't just think about it, read about it, want it. We mm. actually have to experience that deep personal failure mm. um, before we can come into that personal, totally devoted, all my heart, soul, mind, and strength kind of relationship. Mm. Now, you're a businessman, and you, you deal with numbers, but I, I realize you, there's no way to, to, to really know this, but like, if you were to kind of say what percentage of Christians stay in, on, the, on the first step the whole, and never get to the second step, or how many actually make it all the way to the third step, what, how would you kind of break that down? Yeah, so the first step would be by far the largest group, and I'm probably guessing it's 80%. You know, wow. It's a very high number of people who... Um, start and stop on that step. And there's a lot to love about that step. It's a wonderful, beautiful experience on that step. But nobody is really teaching step two or step three. Mm. And although everyone experiences tribulation, you just kind of bounce back and forth from tribulation to tribulation. And you know, maybe after you've gone through the tribulation, you forget that you ever needed help. <laughs> yeah. And you, you go back uh, to the first step. Um, but it's a large group. Step two is the longest period of time, and that's probably the next 15% mm. of people who are truly willing to take up their cross and go through those difficulties um, and understand kind of the deeper purpose behind tribulation. Um, and, you know, that's the 40 years in the desert. And for mm. many people, it is decades long of cumulative difficulty um, that ultimately wears down whatever is left of your old self. Mm. Um, and then it's a very small group that moves it moves into step three. The people that are truly willing to not just tolerate suffering, but welcome it because they know it's removing whatever of the old self there is and falling into that total devotion. Mm. And again, you read the lives of these saints and it's remarkable how they lived. Yeah. And they, I, I mean, one way we describe them sometimes are just mystics. They just, they contemplated uh, things about God that most people never even, never crosses their mind, but right. they they might spend years uh, just trying to come to understand, and even in, in faintly, some things about God that others never, would, would never consider to be right. interested in. And so they seem kind of strange to us sometimes. <laughs> they might, I, I was sharing with you that, uh, my dad was often called a mystic, and they, and t for for some people, they that that was kind of seen as, well, he's a nice man, he loves God, but it's just not that practical. Mm. They would they would almost dis distinguish between practical faith and mystical faith. You know, you spend years getting to know God, but what does that do? You know, will that grow a church? Will that will that extend God's kingdom? It's, um, but uh, but you know, you're a a busy uh, business leader, you you travel, you've got 13,000 employees that you have to manage. Like, how how do you have time to work on, you know, the third step of the ladder? <laughs> like, that sounds like something you do in your retirement when you've got all day just to, to meditate. But how do you, how can a busy person uh, still 
take the time to get to that third that third step. So let's come back to the word mystic a little bit because that does get a bad rap yeah. um, at times. Yeah. And you wrote a beautiful foreword for the book, and thank you so much for that about your dad being a mystic. And you weren't sure if that was a compliment or a, <laughs> well, it wasn't a always treated ding. that way by others. <laughs> I know some people who called him that. They, I, I didn't know that they were complimenting him, but yeah. But the the word um, mystic is simply a, a Greek word that means initiate initiate, um, and mm. it was intended to describe people who wanted to understand. Um, not only the liturgy, but the things beyond the lit- liturgy. And so it was people who wanted to experience the deeper things of God. And it wasn't a pejorative to start with. It was just a classification. These people are trying to to go beyond. Yeah, um, It's got a bit of a bad rap today. And I was really quite uncomfortable with that word and mm. wouldn't read people who were called mystics because <laughs> I was uncomfortable with it because I didn't understand it. And it was Tozer who actually gave me permission to do that. <laughs> um, Tozer <clears throat> was really into the mystics, and I didn't mm. understand that until I started reading him in more depth. Um, and his favorite book uh, of all was Christian Council, written by Francois Fenelon. Mm. And it was the only book he would never let anyone borrow. Um, because it was so important to him. Hmm. And so he really was living the life of a mystic. He just didn't come across that way um, Mm -hmm. all the time. And so people didn't really realize about uh, that about him, but it kind of gave me permission to go study their lives. Hmm. And there was a group that clearly went off into the desert or into the woods and lived these, you know, very separate lives. But the vast majority of them were uh, either people of uh, you know religious faith that required that they be out in the community. Uh, others just wanted to live that life, but they were deep into their communities. So mm. most of the people you read about were out and about living lives, you know, working, um, mm. living as neighbors. And so I think if you study them deeply enough, you can see that you can bring that into your life mm. and still operate in the day-to-day. And I'm not an emotional guy. Um, I'm a very facts-based guy. So it took me a while to kind of yeah. understand what that yeah. looks like, uh, but I'm, I'm learning. I'm still in training. I think that's what's so interesting to me is that you are a very practical, pragmatic kind of person. You have to be to lead an organization the size you lead. but uh, And yet, uh, to have that side, I think we all have that side of us. We, we Often we don't nurture it. We don't know what to do with it. We kind of keep that door closed. But there's, I think for all of us, we want to, is there more to know of God? Uh, d- just to hear a sermon about him once a week. Th- there's got to be more than that. And yeah, a lot of mystics today can't necessarily go live in the desert, but they're often the ones who rise at four in the morning and they're spending hours with God before they have to go on to the office later. Right. But, um, but there are ways to still pull aside even in the midst of a, a very busy full schedule, well, Scott, you and I—I don't, I don't think I, I, uh, I mentioned this to you before, but uh, I know for you, there you—you you had a really—you've had some really cool uh, experiences in your life. But, but I know uh, getting re—I know I know you've had a daughter that just because of a lot of health issues in her life, had a very very difficult um, upbringing and not necessarily a fault of her own, but just health issues and things and maybe bad med- medical treatments uh, led to some just really dark places for her. And, you know, I had the opportunity just to, to, to know you through some of that journey as a father. And you kind of, you tell a bit of a story about 
where you you done everything you knew to do and it wasn't enough. Uh, and then God really, you you finally had to just turn it over to Him. Uh, yes. Do you mind telling us? I just think that's such a beautiful story. And yeah, and I you. think it maybe in one way that might have been part of your journey to go to the next le uh, level, wasn't it? Yes. Absolutely. Tell us a bit about that, because it's just such a powerful story. Yeah, thank you. So for people who don't know the story, my daughter's a three-time cancer survivor by the age of eight, two liver transplants, more than 150 surgeries. Mm -hmm. um, during her second liver transplant, this was before the opioid crisis was known, she grew addicted to the pain meds. Um, I kept telling the doctor she was an addict, but they didn't believe me because this was in the denial stage of that crisis. Mm. Um, and they dismissed her without a plan. And for the next 13 years, she became a very deep in the woods, hardcore addict, um, mm. an alcoholic. Um, and so, you know, we spent all these years trying to save her life. And then she ends up in that lifestyle. So for over 30 years, we were always on the verge of not knowing if she'd make it through the night, the day, the week. Mm. Um, and, you know, with, with the addiction in particular, anyone who's had an addict in the family knows just how much it impacts everyone in the family. Mm. Um, and, you know, we, we were just devastated. So um, I had spent my life trying to save her. I'm a fix-it guy, right? Yeah. I'm going to get her through this unique medical condition. I'm going to fight the insurance companies and get this procedure approved. And you, and just in your career, there's just not much you hadn't been able to fix. That's right. You, that's, you were an <laughs> expert at fixing. Yeah. Well, yeah, except so often there's something in our personal life or family somewhere that's unfixable. Yes. And addiction puts you in that scenario. It just mm -hmm. feels unfixable. And, you know, after 10 years, you say, I'm, you know, I'm not going to give up. But somewhere along the line, after decades of this, you just say, I'm going to give up. And then the next morning you wake up and say, I can't give up. But finally, one morning, I'm up at three or four and... I just have this particular soul moment where I finally turn this whole thing over to God. I mean, I am on my belly, I'm on my face. And I just said, you know, I've uh, for over 30 years, health issues, addiction issues, I have tried to fix this, I've tried to save this, I've tried to save her, and uh, there's no fixing it. Uh, everything I've done has not only been a failure, but in many cases, it's been an epic fail. Hmm. And I've got nothing left. I was exhausted. I was Peter in the courtyard. I had hmm. nothing left of myself, nothing more to give, no energy to give to it. And while I had given it to God a thousand times, I had taken it back a thousand times. Hmm. But there was something different about this hmm. morning where I just completely turned it over. Um, and, you know, everyone gets up, the household goes back to normal, and a week goes by. And now, I hadn't seen my daughter for eight months. Wow, I didn't know if months. she was alive or dead. I didn't know if she was in the States. I didn't know anything about her. And I'm, uh, we're raising her son uh, for obvious reasons. And I uh, take him to school one morning, and I notice on the way back that my wife's car needs gas. And I pull into a station, but it's packed. I sit there for five minutes, get frustrated, and finally <laughs> leave. And I'm just going to go home. But I happened to notice out of the corner of my eye an empty stall at the next station. And I, like, dramatically up on two wheels. And that's make not it... necessarily the station you normally went to, No, right? it's not, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I turn into that station, and I fill up the car, and I'm going to leave. And I'm actually in drive, pulling away from that stall, and I get a message, go to the car next to you. Hmm. Uh, no. Yeah, what do you mean by a message? What? Just <clears throat> this 
thought, overwhelming thought, go to the car next to you, like well, overwhelming. Well, I'm like, uh, no, not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you can get shot doing that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I, I, I keep pulling out and again, go to the car next to you. Hmm. I look over and it's a little metallic blue sports car with black tinted windows. And mm. uh, to your point, you know, oh, so today's the day I die. <laughs> There's a drug deal going on, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I pull up and then I'm thinking about it, go to the car next to you. So I put it in park. I get out and I go stand at the driver's side door of that car. And it, I'm only there for two minutes, but it feels like two hours. And so finally, for like two minutes, you're just standing by I'm this just car. I'm just standing by the thinking, car. what do I do now? Staring at this black tinted window. And finally, the window goes down about an inch. And the driver of the car kind of leans up and goes, can I help you? <laughs> <laughs> and I lean down because it's a sports car, so it's low. And I go down to talk to him. And my daughter is in the passenger side of that car asleep. Mm. Um, and we reconnected that day. Um, she came back into the family. That man is now her husband. Mm. His mother is a deep woman of faith, who you've had the chance to meet, yeah, actually. Yeah. A deep woman of faith. And she yeah. prayed over her and prophesied over her. And she's been sober for three years. Yeah. Um, and they're married and live in their own house. They're 12 minutes away. I know where she is. I see her or talk to her or text her almost every day. Mm. She's cared uh, for by a husband who loves her. Uh, cared yeah. for, safe, loved. Yeah. And um, that is I such never an amazing saw that story. day. Because yeah. you would not see yourself as someone that just has every day just some miraculous thing happen. Like you're a just a normal a business person. Uh, and then one day... When you get to the end of yourself, it's like within a week, God says, okay, no, let me show you what I can do. That's exactly right. Um, and I think a lot of us think, wow, that's never happened to me. That That's never where I felt like God spoke to me or guided me. But like, that's not like every day that's, you know, God tells you today what entree to eat at the restaurant. Like right. you, you don't have that happen all the time. No. But um, but it's almost like that was, you, you took a step up that day uh, to another level. Big step. Um you know, it's amazing how many times when you read the Bible, you see that people were amazed or astonished. Um, and I had challenged myself reading all that, you know, when when was the last time you were astonished by mm. Jesus? Mm. And I, I couldn't point to a time. Wow. Um, but now I can. Now you can. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so. why... Uh, when you think about steps, I mean, you you and I both are internally driven. We we want to do the best we can at whatever it is we're doing, just because we're wired that way. Just why would we want to be second rate at anything? But um, but when it comes to the Christian life, I think a lot of people just feel like, well, I'm in. You know, like I'm going to heaven when I die. Like That's right. why why get all stressed out about what level you're on, what what step you're on? But but like, what would you say to people when if there's three steps, and maybe a lot of the people listening today are on step one. What's the incentive uh, to keep going and not not ever be satisfied until you get to the third level? Yeah. And, you know, there are wonderful parts of each step. So I, I don't want to say that one step is better than the other. Um, but if some of the faith experience is good, wouldn't be all of the faith experience be great, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, yeah. And so... Uh, what what I have found just in my own personal experiences, I've gone from sitting in the pews and getting something out of a service to sitting in the pews and being all in, fully engaged. 
the liturgy now perfectly expresses who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just excited by what's happening um, in the faith community um, instead of just watching what's happening in the faith community. So I think the incentive, I mean, wouldn't a personal experience with Jesus be incentive enough? Yeah. But uh, yeah. if it's not yet, and I get that because you know you have to value the prize before you're willing to fight for the prize, um, I, I would just say that it is such a different experience. It is such a more fulfilling, happier place to be um, that I would just encourage people to keep climbing. Yeah. And it, for those, it, most of our listeners won't know you personally, but you are in many ways uh, just a, a typical business person. You've been very successful, but you do all the stuff. you got all the staff meetings and you know all the different reports, financials, and so on that you have to keep up with. You, you you wouldn't you would never think of you as a mystical guy reading <laughs> Madame Guillaume, Guillaume or whatever and uh, all those kind of things. Uh, but what would you say? Hopefully, as people are listening today, there's some the spirit of God within them is prompting them and stirring something in them to say, you know, I I'm a busy person. I've known for a while that there's more to the Christian life. There's more to God than what I've been experiencing. And I, I love that sense of just the wonder, the astonishment at God. When, when was the last time you, you, like Peter, you just sort of fell to the ground and said, depart from me because, you know, who are you? Like you, there's just so much more to Jesus than I have ever experienced before. Uh, and so if, if people feel like I would love that, I would love that in my life, uh, what, what, what advice, I mean, where do they start? Because maybe for... 20 years they've been at the same place, busy, harassed, at times maybe feeling a bit guilty, like I hear these stories of others uh, that have gone to these incredible places with God, and I figure, well, when, I'm, when I get to heaven one day, I'm, I guess I'll experience all of that. Um, but, but now they, they have a sense, but what if God wants me to do that now? What would you tell them? Where, where do you begin? Yeah, so um, I would just offer hope, first of all, because I was not that guy. Um, not even close to that guy. I'd go to services and see people with their hands in the air crying and go, you know, who are you and why are you crying? <laughs> uh, this makes no sense. And I would see huh. people who, you know, would, would just talk about the love of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus. And I, I wanted to feel that way, but I didn't feel that way. Um, and so, you know, Jeremiah says, you know, you'll find me when you seek with me with your whole heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, there's that whole heart uh, kind of thing. And I just decided that there was something else to experience. And I started seeking. And, mm. you know, my seeking was very slow at first. Um, you know, a phrase here, a phrase there, a book here, a book there. Uh, but when I truly jumped all in um, with everything that I had within me, um, that's when I started to see things differently, feel things differently, and have different experiences like the the one we described. And um, it's still it's still an uncommon experience, mm-hmm. but it's so powerful and strong that it carries you for sometimes decades. You know, yeah. just one moment with God is all you need. Yeah, and it and carries I'm not sure you. That, it's enough. I, you know, I, there's a lot of debate about mountaintop experiences. Is that supposed to be normative, or just now and then you get a taste of of what heaven will be like in a sense of just very close communion and interaction where you, you, you have no doubt this is God that's right now guiding me and speaking to me and uh, 
you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, you, I don't think we want anyone to feel guilty if that's not your common experience. You hadn't had three mountaintop experiences before lunch, you know, that you're, you're a spiritual loser, you know. But, um, but there are those moments in, in life where you, you can always go back to and say, that was God. And uh, I know he's real and I know he loves me and I know that he invites me. Uh, doesn't pressure me, doesn't guilt me, just invites me. Uh, and if if that God is inviting you, then you want to. Why would you not want to start climbing? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, and to some extent, just seeing the ladder, just knowing it's there. First chapter in the book is see ladder, climb ladder. Yeah. Um, just for yeah. me to know there was a ladder, that there was more, that there was a path. It was just so exciting, mm-hmm. um, and just you talk about incentive. It's just oh my gosh! Now I start to see my troubles in retrospect. I start mm-hmm. to see my journey in retrospect, and you know, if you're a young person, great. You start to see it prospectively, um, mm-hmm. and I, ju- I just knowing it's there um, mm-hmm. helps put so many things into perspective. Wow. Yeah. Well, two two last questions. One is if you've kind of wet some people's appetites after they've read your your book. Uh, and they're going to be exposed to some quotes in that book from some of these writers you, yes. you've mentioned. Uh, if, if someone said, I'd love to get more acquainted with some of those writers that, that Scott talked about, uh, any anyone you'd steer them to or any book that you see, this would be a good kind of starting point to whet your appetite to what these folks had to say? Yeah. So um, I think Christian Council, which was Tozer's favorite book. I think mm-hmm. it's on diverse matters of the inner experience, I think is the subtitle. Yeah, some of those subtitles are really, <laughs> you can tell it's not, they're not in the 21st century yeah. stuff. But I think the easiest point of entry um, would be 100 Days in a Secret Place. And I'm now blanking on the author. Um, but it's three different folks. It's uh, uh, M- Miguel Molinos, uh, who is the founder of something called quietism, which is basically mm-hmm. what is the inner experience, which was very controversial back in the day. It co- covers Madame Guion, who was, I thought, um, very realistic in terms of here's how you apply things to everyday life, and mm-hmm. Francois Fenelon as well. Mm-hmm. And it's just a 100-day devotional um, mm-hmm. where you have a chance to read. Just drawing from just, those kind of people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, it, it's a really easy place to uh, begin, I think. Mm. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah, my dad over the years would would steer me towards some of those books yeah. and just tell me to pick that up. And I need, I, I've been encouraged actually just reading your book to to go back and revisit some of those people and uh, and not just do it real quick. You, you, you have to you read a couple pages of those books and then you got to put it down and just think, think about what you just yeah. read. And uh, yeah, and, and so and then lastly, just we'll, we'll have all the information links in the show notes, but... Where 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 can they get uh, your book? Available on Amazon now. <laughs> on Amazon. Where, where else would you <laughs> where get else? it? <laughs> so I would encourage people to go there. Um, and but give us the title again. So. The Ancient Ladder. And don't miss the forward. That's right. Don't yeah. miss the forward. So highly, highly recommend. And in all seriousness, I, I was with another group, and they talked about the forward for like ten minutes. So it's a it's a very good forward. Um, but uh, also a website that I have is uh, awarenessofgod.org, org, mm. um, and that would give links to social media and where some of the other books can be found. And two of them are found on the Blackaby store. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we appreciate that and. Well, Scott, I know it's uh, it's always a pleasure to have you. Uh, I've always admired just uh, you're a multifaceted person uh, and who has uh, done very well in the business world, but 
I think, is doing even better in the spiritual world, no. uh, and you're succeeding in more than one realm of life. And uh, so, encourage people to get this book. You'll you'll love it. Now, it'll stretch you. You read it slowly. Don't uh, you know? It, it may not be the kind of reading that you're used to reading, but. Uh, but it will take you places that a lot of your other reading has not taken you. So take the time just to work through it and uh, meditate upon it. And don't uh, don't be hard on yourself if this stretches you in ways that perhaps you haven't been stretched before. That's That can be a good thing for that to happen. And Richard, thank you. You've been a big part of my journey as well. A lot of discipling coming this way from you. <laughs> and uh, it's been a, a huge part of my growth. So God bless. Well, thank you. I look forward to hearing from our, our listeners. At, when you read the book, let us know what you think. And uh, we're, we're excited about where you might go as listeners in the days to come as you just take a good hard look at that ladder and then just ask God what the next step needs to be for you, Tim. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.